0: Welcome to the Oregon College Football Postgame Show with Judah Newby and Neil Lomax, presented by Frost Brewed Coors Light on 102.9 and 750. The game.
1: It is fourth and short, so keep in mind. Not a little low, but he gets it off.
2: And that deep, and the Ducks have got it
1: at the 11. Problems on special teams again. Brooks
0: James comes up with the big play. All right, welcome into the Oregon College Football Postgame Show. Special teams, one of the main themes of the night, as the Ducks take care of UCLA. A final score, 42 to 21. Your thoughts after this one, Duck fan? At 503-417-7575, 503-417-7575. Taking your calls all night long. A nice thumping of Chip Kelly in his return to Autzen Stadium for the Oregon Ducks. They stayed disciplined. They uh, showed crispness offensively at times. They showed a little bit you know lackluster offense at times as well but in the end they double up ucla 42 to 21 your calls at 503-417-7575 he's the college football hall of famer neil lomax i'm true denubi peter sampson spinning it behind the glass matthew zimmer all hands on deck here as well neil your thoughts after this one ducks put it away it wasn't pretty at times but ultimately 42-21 in the final
2: I, as expected i mean all of us were picking the ducks by at least a two scores and i actually called it 40 to 20
0: that's beautiful right? man
2: so jordan kent owes me not just it's mega vente in a latte <laughs> not just a coffee we'll talk about that later but as expected but here's UCLA showed their youth Show that is uh Going back on the analogy that Chip Kelly used about watering the bamboo, and I oh, kind of yeah. gave it a bad time, but hey, you, you're lucky. But th- this is the project. It's a process, but the project here is these very, very young guys. There's some talent there, but I haven't got the last stat. Maybe you can bring it up. I'm looking online right now. Penalties. Mm-hmm. I mean, that to me, that was the most blatant cause of UCLA's demise, let alone the, specialty, the special teams' uh, snafus. I mean the mistakes they made on special teams and allowing Oregon to create big plays on special teams, and it started right away with uh, Amadi taking the punt return back sixty-five yards. The fake punt, Maimoni making a nice throw to Jacob Breland. Yeah, Maimoni. How about and, You know, and but the but missed field goals by both teams. Sloppy, sloppy special teams. A lot of mistakes. I think UCLA threw away at least six to nine points on bad snaps and. So you take you take the special teams right away and all the penalties. I think there are at least eight in the first half. That gave Oregon an easy 21-0 lead, and they never looked back.
0: They did not. And you mentioned the penalties. Here was the final category on that. 11 penalties for 64 yards for UCLA. One penalty for 15 yards for Oregon. And what was that one penalty? Jake Hansen targeting. That wiped out a 31-yard reverse touchdown for Jalen Red. So ill-timed. Only penalty, but by and large, very disciplined game for Oregon on both sides of the football, and you needed to see that from a team that had entered on a two-game losing
2: streak. Yeah, and Oregon led the Pac-12. I think they were 12th in the nation in penalties last year, 8.5. That's a lot of penalties. And you mentioned 11, but there were three of them declined. Right, Three extra penalties that they declined because Oregon either got a positive play or it was a incomplete anyway, so they didn't even have to take the penalty. Uh, on, a, on an offensive pass interference on one that was incomplete. So that with, with the special teams, and you know Oregon could control the tempo. They did. They, I think Oregon was no question the better football team on, on three phases. Now, stopping the run, though, defensively, was a little question mark. I, I thought UCLA had their way, and Chip stayed to what Chip kind of does. He, it doesn't really spread you out. You can't spread you out with the, the players they have because they have some big tight ends. I mean, I thought Theo Howard had a really good game, and Caleb Wilson, the other big big body, those two guys played next to the tackle a lot. So I didn't see a whole lot of outside help. But those two tight ends, number 14, Theo Howard, and 21, 81, Caleb Wilson, played really well. And they ran the ball well. I, I thought Joshua Kelly, his final stats were 26 carries, buck 61. I mean, that's six and a half yards a carry. He did his job. So they, they ran the ball fairly well, but overall that, uh, Oregon controlled this football game.
0: They really did. Yeah, you you mentioned the rushing yards. I'm surprised Oregon came out on top in the total yards rushing category, 200-199. to 199. I get it, one yard rushing more than UCLA. But UCLA dominated that category in the first half. But in, you're right, in the yards per rush, 5.2 for UCLA. So Oregon's rush defense, a little bit more improvement to be had there. On third down, Oregon was pretty good. 8 for 17, that's just a tick under their season average of being about 52% third down conversion rate. They're just a tick under 50% in this game. UCLA actually gets 29 first downs in Oregon with 20 first downs in this game. I mean, you took look at, on paper, the offensive stats, pretty nip and tuck in terms of raw stats. But what's the difference, Neil? And you mentioned it earlier. The turnovers, the special teams, and the penalties. Is that stuff you don't normally think about in pregame shows? But it's the stuff that really manifested itself in this game.
2: Yeah, and it, it sticks out. Uh, so obviously when you do watch film, you go back and look at uh, the box score. doesn't show up, but you go play-by-play, play and you see that 21 points came off of either turnovers or special teams. I mean, that's 21 points. So you take away those, it's 21-21 game. Right. But that's not that's the way you play this game. Oregon only had to go 10 yards, 15 yards one time, and 6 yards another time for a score. Well, one turnover they got with a muffed, uh, really the, the onside kick that they didn't recover. Oregon gets that ball on the plus 45, but they failed to score. And that's when the only penalty that Oregon had was Hanson has helmet to helmet, and mm-hmm. he did. You know, he used his crown of the helmet. I, I'm assuming these college coaches and NFL, everybody else, we do in high school, you have a tackling session every day, and you work on it every day. That you're around the hip, you wrap up, you take your, your eyes are up, your butt's down, you take the head out of the tackle. You have to. And I think instinct takes over, though, but that was a pretty blatant kill shot on a defenseless player. Well, and that's, I think that's what got the targeting more, you know, how, how violent it looked uh, live. And then you go to the replay, go, oh, man, that was a pretty good shot. Right.
0: And, you know, that's got to be hard, though, for an offensive lineman. In the flow of the game. You don't see targeting normally on the offensive players in general. But on the old linemen? Well, old line though, you're taught to use your hands. So
2: you always block with your hands. That's what kind of surprised me, too. That he had a chance for a, a pretty good blindside shot on defenseless player. If you use your hands and you go inside the the armpits, inside the numbers, that's how you're taught. You lay the kid out anyway. You're right. going to lay him out. But he chose to go kind of high, which I don't know, again, if this instinct or just something split second, it wasn't a, it wasn't a dirty play just went back to his old habits of maybe I'm going to go high and have a kill shot, and it cost Oregon the only, really the only penalty. But Oregon failed to score on that series. Right. And then, so.
0: Well, we'll get to our players of the game. We'll get to our play of the game, our stat of the game as well. We're taking your calls at 503-417-7575. We'll also talk about the other action around the Pac-12 Conference and the Top 25. You currently have Oregon State in a battle with USC. USC. Oregon State, possible letdown scenario after that crazy second-half comeback win last week in Boulder over Colorado. Can the Beavers keep things close with USC, who opened uh, 17-point favorites on the road to begin the week? Checking on that score right now. 21-7 Trojans, and from the Beavs, four minutes to go in the half. What's going on in Seattle? Washington, a 24-7 lead on Stanford late third quarter. And Pullman, Washington State, ranked eighth in the country, still getting used to saying that. They have a 3 nothing lead on Cal Berkeley. That's at the end of the first quarter. Arizona State all over Utah today. 38-20. Big win for Herm Edwards. Big loss for Utah, especially Tyler Huntley. Believe he's got a collarbone injury of some degree, which means his status for next week. Certainly in doubt when Utah has to take on the Oregon Ducks in Salt Lake City. And of course, Friday night's action. 42-34 win for Arizona and Tucson over the Colorado Buffaloes. In Eugene, 42-21. Ducks double up Chip Kelly in UCLA taking your calls at 503-417-7575 what impressed you most about this win what are you still concerned about as a duck fan as you move forward because i tell you what there's an opportunity for the ducks to still win out here think about a utah team without tyler huntley that's right and you think about arizona state coming to your place that's gonna be a huge game now Mm -hmm. november 17th and then you think about the civil war on the road in Reeser, but three very winnable games if Huntley cannot go next week, and even if he can, I think Oregon's still got a shot in the building. They played well in each of the last two times they've gone to Rice-Eccles before. They've come out with victories. There's still a chance for Oregon to gain momentum, get three more wins after this one, go into the bowl game scenario with four straight wins and be a top-25 team again, Neil. I mean, did they show top-25 caliber to you in this win today? Well, definitely top-25 because
2: you go from really 10... on up to twenty five, the the, the parity is amazing. There there's teams losing all over the place uh, from the Big Ten, Big Twelve, ACC. There's not there's only let's face it there's three or four really really good football teams and number one is a no doubter a no brainer. I mean, Tua T and Alabama and that Nick Saban coach team, no question what they're putting on uh, LSU right now in Death Valley. That's amazing. I mean in Death Valley and you can shut them out. Plus, you put twenty nine on them. It, that's that's incredible. Right. Uh, I picked. I, I was throwing out a curveball there, but still, I, you gave me fourteen points. I took. I took LSU, but man, that right and then Clemson, Notre Dame came back. Okay, it's a, it's a ninety minute bus ride to Evanson from South Bend. Okay, <laughs> it's kind of a little close home game. It's in the neighborhood, so not really a big road win, but they won. It was for, a close oh, game. Oh, for
0: Notre Dame. Yeah, Notre Dame, yeah.
2: They won. They beat Northwestern, but it's a it's a win. So you take two or three of those teams and the rest of them, man, you just just roll the dice, Judah. I, I don't know who's your top 20 from then on because now with Utah losing, the Pac-12 will have one team in the top 25. I'm assuming. It, it, I,
0: I bet Utah will still hold on to 24. Seconds. I think Washington might slip in. After this statement win. But you're talking about... Against Stanford? Okay. Yeah. But if they are ranked, they're going to be 21 and below.
2: Okay. And who cares after 15 above... 17 above... I mean, come on.
0: Your point is well taken.
2: Yeah. I mean, UCF is out there number 12, but they
0: don't get any respect. Right. They might be a top 10 team. Josh Hypo leading that UCF team a big deal. All right, we'll go away, come back. Peter Sampson's going to get you caught up on all the latest scores. Your call's at 503-417-7575. Neil Lomax, Judah Newby just getting underway on the Oregon College Football Post Game Show on 1029-750, the game.
2: Third down and three now. And get a first down without a touchdown.
0: Play fake, and they swing it up to Mitchell. Here it's touchdown. One of Dylan Mitchell's two touchdowns on the night. Boy, did that guy have a game or what? Final stats on Dylan Mitchell. Eight catches for 156 yards and two touchdowns. He, uh one of the candidates for player of the game. C.J. Verdell, I think, is in there, too. He went 25 for 90. Not an outstanding game for CJ. Not an outstanding game for the Ducks run game in general, but that's okay. At least they committed to running the football. Justin Herbert finished 18 for 32, 264 yards, two touchdowns, and no picks. It's the Oregon College Football Postgame Show. We're also taking your calls at 503-417-7575. Jude Danube and Neil Lomax. Dylan Mitchell, Neil, what a talent this guy is, and it's a good thing he was available for the Ducks today. He proved his medal once again.
2: Yeah, I mean, the shot he took last week in that Arizona game and be able to, you know, come back from that and, and not practice for three of the four work days that you have. I mean, you really you really work hard. You know, Sunday's kind of more of a walkthrough. You know, get the ouchies out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, good work days, Thursday, they put in a full uh, practice. Um, but, man, to be able to come back. To me, he's the player of the game, and here's why. You, you mentioned his receiving statistics were you know eight catches 156 got two touchdowns but he was targeted at least 18 i, I wrote down 18 times they're trying to go to him and the man coverage was incredible i give credit to uh darmay holmes number one the corner i mean he had press coverage on yeah. him the entire night and that's a tough task because dylan mitchell and, and again justin herbert sees that coverage And when there's no safety, we call that cover zero, press man, cover zero. I mean, you go to your guy. You go to the guy who's going to break loose and who's going deep, and that was most of the time is Dylan Mitchell. But some of those catches he made, I mean, Holmes was draped all over him three or four times.
0: And the one at the end of the third quarter that was ruled a catch and then was retroactively ruled incomplete. They had to play the last play of the third quarter all over again, and then they went to him again, first play of the fourth quarter. Same exact route, and he made the catch on second and 25 or something like that. And uh, when he got up from that next catch, he got up and said, Hey, I caught it. I caught it. He was showing a lot of emotion. He was pissed off that they overruled the first day. Well, but he did. That was a
2: drop, though. Come on. That was obvious. It It was was obvious. But
0: what I mean is he's showing a lot of emotion. Like, it meant to him. It meant a lot to him out there Eighteen,
2: eighteen 18 times Justin Herbert tried to find Dylan Mitchell in the passing game. And six or seven of those were incompletes. The other 80 did catch. So he is the go-to guy. And we all know it. We, it's been that way for three or four weeks. defenses are deciding we're going to press man, but no, no help. That's what kind of surprised me. They're putting they're trying to get some pressure. they're covering everybody else up. There's four guys and they're putting some pressure on the quarterback. That tells me the line's doing a great job. CJ Vardell does not get credit for his pass protection. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. you know people don't realize that he's got a number 34. He's got to stand there most of the time and, and, and have some blocking. Um, so, Defensively, though, if teams are keep doing this, I don't mind them. Keep going to Dylan Mitchell. Keep going your man-to-man type of routes, and you are get some guys deep, which they did.
0: Yeah, and other receivers in this game, boy, n- not much to speak of. Jacob Breland, two for sixty-one, and really the big catch that Breland had was on that fake field goal that they had yeah. early in the game. What do you think of that call on fourth and ten?
2: Hey, the punters, the both punters on each team are one for one in passing. That's amazing. Okay. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> they're
0: one for one. Blake
2: Maymoni, what a throw! That was a great call early on. I was kind of saying say to myself, though, God, if you had that fake field goal, you save that. Mm-hmm. You save it for maybe the fourth quarter or third quarter when the game's tight. And you know, there's two trains of thought. You, you were talking about, well, you might as well get going now, get it up fourteen nothing. Obviously, that's what the Ducks yeah. want to do. But I give Bobby Williams a lot of credit. I mean, just special teams wise, he is the coordinator of that. He has to practice with these guys over and over and over. And he decided to tell Coach Cristobal, yeah, I think it's a green light. Let's do it. And Coach Cristobal agreed. There were, there were two or three big special teams decisions in that game and recovering the onside kick, which was big. But UCLA was offsides on the play, too, by the way. So they declined that one. I mean, there were, there were four other penalties due to that. They declined. Right. Instead of 11, they almost could have 14 could have or 15 penalties. Well,
0: Bobby Williams, by the way, the special teams coordinator for Oregon, uh he was the head coach of Michigan State from 2000 to 2002. Little side nugget there. I didn't really? even know that. Michigan yet. State. I wonder who the uh, Michigan State quarterback was back then. Man, it wasn't Drew if only, Stanton. If only I was near a computer. It wasn't Drew Stanton was I'm
2: just going to throw Drew Stanton out there.
0: Uh, I, I think Stanton was even later than that, wasn't <gasps> he? It, oh, Nick Saban preceded Bobby Williams as head coach at uh, Michigan State. That's amazing. Not a good year for them. Five and six, two and six in the Big uh, Big Ten. Yeah, I can't find who's the quarterback of this team. Oh well, we'll we'll do that later. We'll pull it up anyway. As Bobby we Williams, digress, yeah. you,
2: you just want some history on Bobby Williams.
0: Yeah, I did. I, okay. I wanted to get to know the guy because he, hey, he ended up playing a pretty big role, dialing up those special teams fakes in this game, and ultimately that that mattered. And look, Nick Aliotti was right. He said Chip Kelly would empty out the clip a little bit, get aggressive, maybe dial up some things that you wouldn't have anticipated. He certainly did that, Neil. Whether it's oh, yeah. the, the fake punt that they got and ended up punting on anyway, or the onside kick when they made it a two-score game, didn't execute it very well, but Chip was going aggressive in this game.
2: And, and that's that's his calling card, but when he knows, I, I, I can't really stop Oregon's offense. They really couldn't. I mean, after the second half, when the special teams, and uh, the, the huge play to me st- still was when Justin Hollins came in, stripped, right. and scooped that ball up, and they were able to score from the 10-yard line. You, you, that was a heck of a play by Hollins. And the edge rushers again. Jalen Jelks coming from the edge. And you have Justin Hollins coming from that 7-9 technique on the outside. It just, well, it basically took DTR out of the game. His sack. And I thought he was playing fairly well. Yeah. We can talk about him a little later, the quarterback uh, comparisons. But that sack and the scoop by Hollins. And then you had a UCLA penalty on that as well. And that was decline. And you had a first and goal. And they score. And that makes it twenty-eight to seven. With six minutes left in the third quarter, to me, at that point, Oregon had really good control of the football game. And you're right. Now all of a sudden, it's Chip Kelly going, "Hmm, onside, fake this, fake that." You kind of had to, yeah, because now they're and then namely lose Dorian Thomas when he we
0: went out. That was a different it, ball game. Yeah, whole different ball game. Although I thought Wilton Spate played pretty well. He made some nice throws. DTR, a lot of physical talent, not accurate. He, he miss some his. throws. Yeah, he did. Had <laughs> he the missed red, some throws? Zone, red zone interception early. At least Spate has some touch. And uh, that that showed up in a lot of throws in the second half. So Chip's in an interesting position with his quarterbacks. And you think about you know who he wants to recruit for that position moving forward. Is DTR still the guy that he wants to build around as a sophomore and junior in the future? I don't think UCLA is that far away from competing in the South. I don't. Uh, they showed some things even throughout the season, but even today as well, that They've got, you know, if they can cut back the penalties and the turnovers. You think? which are two huge I know, <laughs> factors. I know that. But the rushing attack was there. I mean, Josh Kelly ran the rock yeah, really well. No, he was Joshua, the best runner in this game.
2: You're right. I, I was I was impressed with Joshua Kelly, how hard he ran. Um, Irby came in for a little bit. There was no Kasmir Allen. Didn't really have an effect at all. He's kind of their second-leaning rusher. Uh, but, again, you get behind 28-7, and now that's why Spate came in, and that's uh, why he was effective. Their little Oregon now played a lot more zones, a lot more looser in their coverage. was able to complete some of those balls and kind of make it a two-score game at 28-14. But Oregon answered right back again, make it 35-14. Uh, uh, yeah, Chip, you're, you're right. He, he's going to bring his guys in. They need some more speed. They got some big bodies, but they're young. Right? There's some juniors in there, sophomores in there. I was hoping to see uh, uh, Chase
0: Coda. Yeah, don't Uh don't was from South Stanford, Chad's son. Has Chad's he played more than four games? You think they said he, they said he's played eight games. I think he has. Yeah, I didn't see really much. Yeah, he, he's them. he's played
2: eight games. He's had seven receptions for ninety-eight yards. So he's got in some, got in some games. Probably mm-hmm. when they were getting blown out or something. But I'm surprised they didn't put him in being at Oregon. Yeah, didn't he you didn't, know? You know, Chad and the family were there. The old South Medford Panthers.
0: Yep. He was this close to going to Oregon. Yeah, you know, them and UCLA. That was a big loss for the Ducks at the time in recruiting. So, yeah, I didn't see him much out there either. All right, we'll go away. We'll come back. We'll get Mario Cristobal's TV reaction and the uh, post-game press conference audio as well whip around the rest of the pac 12 take a look at what portland state is doing over at Hillsboro stadium as well still lots more to go just getting started on the oregon college football post game show judanubi neil lomax and you at 503-417-7575 tweet us your reaction your thoughts from this game at 1029 the game ducks win 42 21 mario cristobal defeats chip kelly and kelly's return this was uh, Mario Cristobal on Fox after the three-score victory. Coach, it is a bright light. You're under the bright lights right now. A great game tonight, Coach.
3: You told us yesterday that you wanted to win in all three facets of the game. Tell me what a big role special teams played tonight. Well, they played a huge role. They got us going right away. You know, the uh, the punt return team did a great job setting up Ugo. Ugo saw a crease and hit it. Um, you know, we, we felt we had an opportunity to get some points too with a fake in the field goal unit. And uh, not only did we execute, it broke a tackle to make a big play and ended up being a huge play for us as well. We didn't score down there before the half and that hurt us, and uh, we got hit by a fake, which we knew was coming, but we didn't execute it. But overall, the special teams were huge. And Justin Herbert and Dylan Mitchell were both in concussion protocol at the beginning of this week. They played tonight and both had huge games. How special are these two? Those guys are special guys. I mean, they love Oregon. They love their teammates. Um, you know, we always make sure they're cleared medically. That's never something that we play with, but uh, once they were cleared, I mean, their teammates were really glad to see them, and then they showed up late. thank you very much.
0: So, thank you. Enjoy it. That is Mario Cristobal with Holly Saunders after the win, 42-21. You can also call in with your thoughts, 503-417-7575. This is the Oregon College Football Post Game Show. Alongside Neil Lomax, I'm Jutanubi. And, Neil, let's just take a step back and analyze what this win means for Oregon at this point of the season. They had come off back-to-back difficult road losses where they were just smashed in the mouth from kickoff to halftime. To the fourth quarter comeback bid fell short on the Palouse no such comeback to speak of in Tucson at least in this game they played from out in front certainly more of the recipe for success they become used to overall what this win mean for Oregon
2: well it means that they can win out and as we saw in this Pac-12 scenario Utah loses today so now Oregon goes to Utah host one of the hottest teams both Arizona teams are really hot state and the team down there in Tucson so you get Arizona State at home, and then you get the Civil War. So you went out. There's three more victories. That's a pretty big bowl game. And we wouldn't been thinking that a couple of weeks ago with mm-hmm. an ugly showing up at the Palouse. And then what the hell was that down in Tucson? I mean, absolute annihilation by the Wildcats. And they came back, and we all expected them to win and to play well at home, and they did. But they needed a lot of help, and that help came from the special teams and the defense. Defense did a great job shutting down the passing game, caused some turnovers, one big turnover by Justin Hollins. But the special teams really set them up for, that's why they scored 42 points.
0: And for Mario Cristobal, you know, it's interesting. He We know that he is he wants to commit to the run first, second, and third. And yet, at some point, that wasn't working out for Oregon in the past couple of weeks, and part of it was game flow. They weren't really in a position to be running the football down by three scores in the first half. In this game, Neil, it was interesting. You you had a couple of goal-to-go situations. They ran the football, came up empty, set up a 21-yard field goal, and it missed. But later on in the game, you get a third-and-goal from the one, a seemingly run-the-ball scenario, and they go ISO Dylan Mitchell on the far side of the field, with a fade route and the back, get a de- shoulder fade, defensive right. pass interference. So where do you think Mario Cristobal goes from here in terms of his offensive philosophy? We know what he wants to do, but we also see the results and we see the personnel that he has. How do you marry all those things together at this point?
2: Well, you, we know what Mark uh, Mario Cristobal wants, but Marcus Arroyo is up above, you know, at that 30,000-foot level, looking at everything, thinking, oh, my God, press inside man. We could throw that back shoulder fade. You know, but at third and five, they ran that zone left, to C.J., that was kind of my surprise. And then they duck hooked the, the field goal by stack. Come away with nothing. And then you have, a like you said, third and two or third and one and a half from the yard and a half. That's a good downhill right there. They decide to throw the fade to Dylan Mitchell. Again, matchups. And we're not at practice. I keep telling you guys, we're not at practice. They go over these scenarios all the time. If they think this matchup's better, they have a better chance. They got the, they got the foul. They got the penalty because Dylan Mitchell actually beat Martin into the corner. So... You got Marcus Arroyo doing the game plan, and you got Marcus Chris, Chris, Coach Cristobal kind of going, I think we're going to run it. So who's going to overrule will be Cristobal, the final say. But again, when you're at practice, and this is what you go over, over and over all the time, most times, eight out of ten times, you're going to do what you've been doing in practice in those situations.
0: Let's talk about Dylan Mitchell again as well for the listener. He was so good today. Eight catches for 156 yards and two touchdowns. Can you speak to the trust factor that is between a quarterback like Herbert and an ex-receiver like Mitchell. I mean, he was going to him with every single chance that he had in this game, and no apologies necessary because Mitchell was producing. What is that like when you have a guy that you can rely on without apology and just go to him every time?
2: Yeah, and sometimes maybe too many times. I mean, I count 18 different times that Justin Herbert threw the ball to number 13 and cut eight of them but the coverage was pretty dang good and it's it's a simple that that the relationship you start having and we saw this started last year a little bit but but more of right from the get go with Dylan Mitchell and Justin Herbert there's just a special chemistry there uh but again i don't think there's favoritism it's just a, the matchups and i saw two or three times UCLA comes out no safety no safety whatsoever i'm taking a shot to Dylan Mitchell He's got the eight route, or he's got the go or the deep post. I'm going to take that shot because there's no safety. He did it three times, one for a huge score. That was a beautiful ball. 64-yard touchdown. Everything looks good, right? Everything's good down in Notson, But they're going to keep those shots up you play that kind of coverage.
0: And you only need one of them to hit in order to make it all worth it. That's right, Dylan Mitchell with a huge game. Justin Herbert, his final stats in this one, 18 for 32, 264 yards, two touchdowns. No picks. Something to be said for that. How would you feel Justin played?
2: Uh, no no turnovers at over at, at all, I'm just saying. So no fumbles, uh, no interceptions. And that's been his makeup. He does not throw. He might miss some balls. He might miss some some coverage looks. Awarded drop down to his checkdowns. Where's number two? Where's number three? But when you're playing a lot of man, these teams, you know, Jordan Kent and I talked about, these teams now are playing a lot of man. You're going to go to number one because you don't have a lot of time. You're you're They're bringing five or six rushers. So you got to find that number one receiver and go to it. But he's making the throw. Either a duck is going to catch his ball or no one's going to catch it. And he's he's keeping that ball away from great ball golf, ball control by his part. Uh, and I, I'm surprised, too. We're not seeing him run the ball that much. We thought early on he would use more of his feet and rush the football. And they're kind of making sure either that's a game plan thing because of what happened last week. But he's not using his feet a whole lot. He's using his
0: arm. By the way, I found out who was playing quarterback for Michigan State. Oh under my god, Bobby here we Williams. go. Trivia. From two thousand to two thousand three. I've never heard of this guy. Jeff Smoker. Yeah? Yeah? I I I remember you Jeff remember Smoker. Jeff Smoker? Mm-hmm. Oh man. He's ranked number five on the list of uh all-time best Michigan quarterbacks. Who do you think the all-time best Michigan quarter Michigan State quarterback was, according to the Michigan State fan blog?
2: Oh, I, I got Cook in my mind like right now. He, he's Connor number Kirk. two. He's number two. They
0: say Kirk Cousins is the player. Okay, best Kirk ever.
2: well, look what he's doing now, too. Yeah, uh,
0: he's a good player. Yeah. All right, we'll get a scoreboard update. We'll go live to Austin again. Talk to James Crappia, the Oregonian in Oregon Live. We'll get you the post-game audio from Mario Cristobal and all the players. He's Neil Lomax. I'm Chudanuobie. You can call in at 503-417-7575. Ducks win 4221. More post-game show. Coming up next on 1029-750 the game.
1: Adam Stack has been battling a little bit of a hip problem. In for this field goal try. No field goal attempts in the Arizona go It's a fake. It got... It's a fake. And it's open. And it's green the tight end. There he goes.
0: Touchdown. No, they're going to rule out the one. 503-417-7575 as we dip into uh, the 9 p.m. hour on the Oregon College Football Post Game Show. Taking another uh, hour, 15 minutes or so, alongside Neil Lomax. I'm Jude Anubi, and you as well. You can tweet at 1029 The Game. Getting uh, a tweet from at Rocket Power Fan says: Amadi's punt return for our first touchdown. Fake punt pass to the one-yard line that got our second TD. UCLA's muffed punt return attempt that led to our third TD. I don't think I've ever seen a game where special teams had as much of an impact on the result as this one did, Neil. And there's no question, special teams had a big impact And uh, for about 90% of it. Special teams favored Oregon. Juxtapose that with the way special teams bid Oregon in the backside last week down in Tucson. It's a welcome sight. Bobby Williams, shout out. Special teams crew got it done for you today.
2: Yeah, especially how early it started. I mean, right. right away. Right. I mean, the punt returned right away, and I still go back to early third quarter. You know, Justin Hollins comes in, he strips it, so you had really a defensive touchdown. He could have had a scoop and score if it wasn't uh, Josh um, Kelly made a little tackle there to make sure he didn't score. So there's really four touchdowns that were scored non by the non you know non offensive uh, touchdowns. Mm-hmm. So that's that's 28 points and but that's the whole framework of of a game and that's why you want to win three phases you want to win special teams offense and defense and Oregon certainly did that.
0: Oregon's rush defense still has to, you know, come a little bit of a way. Josh Kelly 26 for 161 and a touchdown in this game and I tell you what a lot of those run plays looked a lot like those run plays we saw for so long under Chip Kelly. The little zones to the left or right, and immediately it looked like the second level was available for the taking for Josh Kelly. He had himself another big game.
2: Yeah, that, that was give and take, though. I, I mean, you, you contained it. That was 20 to the 20. I mean, he did have a big one, though. He did scamper for, what, 25 yards. Kelly's TD there. Middle third quarter, That got them back to two scores. Uh, you're right. They had two good runs, a good complete uh, by Spate. Um and then all of a sudden, Kelly bust off the right side for a 25-yard t- touchdown run, makes it 28-14. So they kind of got back in the game. Uh, I was, actually had another field goal attempt right. when it was 28-14, and the bad snap, it could have been a 28-17 game. Uh, but they did run the ball fairly well. But I thought I thought overall, Oregon could control this football game. I, I thought if the ball came back, then Oregon had another offensive series, they would score.
3: Yeah.
0: Well, Mario Cristobal met with the media a moment ago and talked about the impact of special teams in this game.
3: When I, when I asked Bobby for it, you should have seen the look on his face. He was like, huh? Because you, know, you practice those things for years, and the players are always wondering when, when you're going to use them, you know, when you're going to use them. But um, it had looked good in practice. It had looked good in practice, and, and they, you know, there was a hole there for us to have. And um, you know, the way that they bring that overload rush, as long as you know, the holder does a good job putting the ball down, you, get, you have a chance. You have a chance for that, that edge to collapse and get around it. And Blake did a great job, a great job getting those guys sucked in and getting outside. And then Jake did a great job breaking the tackle. But in, in special teams overall, you know, starting off the game with Hugo's punt return and just the way that the punt return team set that particular return up was really a, it was impressive. Hats off to those guys, to Coach Bobby Williams, the way that he was uh, – the way that he just continued to work with our guys on technique and fundamentals it really showed up big in tonight's game the only shame of it was uh, well you know we missed a real short field goal which we can't do that and then on their fake we actually had a guy assigned to we felt what uh, the fake was coming and we felt that we could bait it and um but uh, our guy lost him our guy lost him so that was something that we certainly got to work on so we don't get hit by it again but Overall, some some really good special teams play.
0: You know, I'm curious, Neil, how much attention is devoted to special teams in practice? Like, uh, if you were to put a percentage on it. From what you practiced, I guess, in the NFL, you know, were those guys always doing their own thing? They were always just punting and kicking field goals, and they're just kind of doing their own thing, right? But was there ever concentrated team time to special teams?
2: Well, yeah, the kickers always were all their own little special area, hanging out when you're, in offensive period or defensive period. But, you know, NFL is a little different when you only have 53 guys. You know, when you're the defense, so there's a special time that they'll set aside for a 20-minute, it could be just kickoff, kickoff return on Mondays, and then punt, punt return on a Tuesday. Wednesday's all block, field goal, PAT, block. Uh, But every day there was a session. There was definitely a time element involved. College, now you have all these extra guys that don't play. So they could be doing that. you're you're down on different fields, you're down on different sections of the field. So offense could be going 7-on-7, for example. It's an offensive period. So you're 7-on-7 going against UCLA's seven defensive players for seven offensive players. You're passing. The whole offensive group's down there. You know, the guys who are playing special teams are working with Bobby Williams down there half the field working on PAT block or working on punt return because you don't use those guys on on 7-on-7. So in college, with 80, 90 guys on a roster, you could be working every single day, really perfecting what Coach Chris is talking about—the blocking of that punt return set up Ugo Amadi's big scamper.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and the fact that it came so early in the game, I thought was important because Oregon was on the back foot each of the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. Bam, hit right in the mouth, and now you've got to play from behind. This time, they were the ones to strike first.
1: Yeah, and over in variety and look touchdown
0: and the fact that it happened from one of the team leaders that's got to be a motivating feeling on the sideline when they had to have it is it not
2: yeah he's one of the leading defensive backs with interceptions and tackles uh Lenore's playing really well D Lenore plays really well too he's been playing re- Excellent when he comes in some special teams, but great in the secondary. But you got to think how this star. You're right. Oregon got the ball first. Run, 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 run. Incomplete. Had the punt. UCLA gets it. Goes offsides. Makes a good play. They get down there. Up. They go offsides again. There's a penalty. So you have to punt after two penalties. So they punt the ball. And boom. Ugo Amati takes it for 55 yards. Touchdown. You get things going. And that... That just does. It puts it like a knife in your side offensively and defensively for players for UCLA. Go, man, we're doing everything we can. We start. We give them a freebie? Yeah. That, that's, it's, it is. Emotionally, it, it puts you back because you, you you stopped them, and they return the punt for a touchdown.
0: It's got to be. I mean, and Chip Kelly, of all people, probably knows that once you get the crowd involved at Autzen Stadium and you're playing from behind, how much of an impact that can have on your team? And I bet – That manifested itself in some of the lack of discipline penalties that UCLA had in this game, just not able to keep your composure in that type of an environment, which Chip would know that better than anybody. But honestly, you mentioned it many times during the game. UCLA responded with some big-time scoring drives in this game when it could have gotten out of hand, could have been 28-7 way before it was eventually 28-7, could have been even worse along the way. And the UCLA offense still showed enough poise to take the next strike back, to make it a 14-7 game, to make it twenty-one or 28-14 to after getting down by three scores.
2: Yeah, they didn't, they didn't let it get out of hand. Uh, I still felt Oregon really controlled this game. And to go ahead and do it, the fake field goal in the first quarter. Right. I mean, the first quarter. You, you weren't satisfied being uh, 10-0. you, you got to go for it. And uh, Blake, may moan. Let's go. All right, let's go, man. He's one for one for, what, 45 yards? Uh, you got Man, you're leading the league in the... You know, yardage per attempt, dude. Way to go.
0: I love Dyson uh, of the athletic, had a tweet. He said, hey, simple as that. When Blake Mimone's on the field, he makes plays.
2: 28 yards <laughs> per pass attempt, man. <laughs> what do you think he makes plays? Things happen. Maybe they knew, too, that Blake, yeah. uh, just his arm, I mean, the arm strength, really, for those punters, they're fooling around. They don't have nothing else to do. They're out there playing cast. Hmm, maybe we could have a, but you got to admit, he put that ball down for that half a second. That's patience. That's discipline. To put that ball down, and it really looked like, and I thought Stack did a good job, too, of being an actor. But maybe they did know something that Adam Stack, eh, he might miss another one. We you don't really trust the guy, let's go ahead and fake it.
0: Right. You know, that's right. Hey, did you ever see Al Del Greco throw a pass? No. Who was your quarterback? Not,
2: not, not, not Al Del Greco. We, I had. Did you ever do we, a fake field goal in with Al In my 10 Del years, Greco? I think we had like five different field goal kickers. Al was there for four or five years. Okay. But not not him. It was the punter. We'd have a couple fake punts, and usually it was our backup quarterback. Though that's what kind of gives. That's what's cool about this. They never thought it would happen because you have your punter in there. Right. A lot of times you have your backup quarterback being the holder because they have better hands. Yeah.
0: Supposedly they have better hands. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Justin Herbert spoke as well, getting ready for this game with all the uncertainty.
4: I did everything I could to to get to come back early, and and uh, I think early on in the week, got to practice a little bit, and and uh, just ran into meetings and. Did my best to catch myself up with with all the film.
0: Well, he missed a couple of throws in this game. The one over the middle that he was trying to hit Breland on late. Man, that like NFL guys make that throw and he missed it by five yards.
2: Yeah, Breland had his guy. Oh, beat. There give was, him a break. It's one or two of them. My God, have you ever been backed in the pocket? Maybe he got hit. Maybe someone hit his coming. foot. Maybe some, maybe the ball slipped a little bit. Get uh, the guy a break. Yeah. I still love him. If no he's throwing four or five picks. Then you start bitching about him, okay? <laughs> Until he starts doing that, give the guy a break, throw one bad ball. But it was it uh, was way behind him though. He's gonna tell you he didn't have the laces or something. I don't think he had the laces. James Crepe
0: James Krep of the Oregonian joins us live from Eugene next. More post game coming up. Boy, you gotta love uh live radio, baby. Just on the phone with James Crepe of the Oregonian Oregon Live five seconds ago, right before I come on. He says, Hey, I'm jumping in the elevator, man. Can you can you give me like one minute? I'm like, all good, man. All good. We'll bring you on in a minute.
2: That elevator at At Autzen, it's is going to be more than one minute getting <laughs> down the bottom there. That thing's going to stop at every level and get all those media guys. And he'd love that. I'm I'm anxious to hear him tell us the atmosphere there. of Of it had to lead to a lot of these penalties, the false starts, offsides, uh, with a young team like UCLA. Did, did that stadium, you know, kind of dictate why there were so many early penalties that really affected UCLA's. Uh, start momentum.
0: It really did. And, you know, for Oregon, they needed to get off to a fast start considering what had happened the last couple of weeks, and we alluded to that earlier and how important that punt return was uh, from Ugo Amadi to get Oregon onto the fast start. And without that, if UCLA got in front early in this game, I think we'd be, you know, maybe not talking about a different result, but we'd be talking about a different type of game. But in the end, Neil, I think you were pretty close on your prediction, right? What was your call? I said 40-20. You Forty did, to yeah. twenty,
2: I did. That's like really Ducks, close. Ducks by twenty. Well, and I appreciate UCLA not scoring at the end there. They had they had kind of farted that ball around a little bit. They had, they did score, mm-hmm. but then it was pass interference, so another penalty. I got to number eleven. Uh, hey, but you know what? Good to see TBJ. We had a we had a TBJ sighting. We did. You know he cut what Tony Brooks James total five carries though, but those two carries late fourth quarter. Especially the fifty-four yarder, right? I mean, man, that was huge. That was that was kind of glimpses of the past, and you know, C.J. Verdell went out, got dinged up a little bit, and they brought him in. So, and that's the question: where has that been?
0: Right. Well, I I just don't understand the running back rotation in general. Marcus Arroyo keeps calling it a hot hand type of situation, but you know, Verdell goes and has twenty-five carries for ninety yards today. So, you know, hoping James Crepia can uh, provide some insights. James, how's it going, my friend?
1: Pretty good, and perfect timing, guys. Because I'm literally walking out of said elevator right now, so I can, nailed I it. You can hear me. Yeah, that was a
2: quick elevator. <laughs> I, I gave hey. that elevator right about five minutes at Otson. That thing's pretty. You got the express one.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, it was. It was every time that I swear. Um, it's quite literally perfect. Uh, yeah. Now look, uh, we, we spent the whole week talking about about the run game and reestablishing the run game and all that. And I know you guys just touched on it. Yeah, I mean, this was reestablishing the run game. And I know that during the course of the game, a lot of folks lot of were definitely not happy about what they perceived as either conservative play calling or unimaginative or, you know, too cons- Listen, by a ratio standpoint, especially what you saw in the first half, and I haven't done the full numbers in the second half yet, this is what Oregon is. This is who they are. It was 11 11- runs on first down to seven pass on first down in the first half. If it's 12-6, that's a perfect 2-1 to ratio, and that's what this team is when it's hitting on all cylinders. Now I understand the final results, as far as the runs themselves, aren't there until the end, but during the game, I said at halftime, hey, yeah, the average isn't there right now, but after basically an even split run pass in the first half, by the end of the half, you have to hope that between carries 30 and 40, that you've worn the UCLA defense down enough, but you can break one. And sure enough, Tony mm-hmm. Brooks' teams who you guys just talked about, breaks a 54-yard touchdown on carry 38 of the night. That's what you're aiming to do. This is what this team is. Now, I know you're not aiming to have about half the carries in the first half go for short yardage, and you only have two runs over 10 yards against a UCLA defense that was one of the nation's worst at 10-plus yard runs allowed, but was very good at keeping everything beyond that within that range from 10 to 20, they didn't allow any runs really beyond uh, uh, 20 yards during the season. Very few. Which is kind of crazy given the number of, of 10 yards runs. A runs they allowed. So ultimately, you've got to understand who this defense they're playing with Yeah, not very good. Yeah, very porous against the run, but they keep the runs in front of them. So it was going to be hard yards. It was going to be hard to gain big runs. But you finally got one late when you needed it, and that's because you wore that team down. That's what you're looking for in this kind of game. When you're trying to reestablish the run, that's it. And ultimately, you also had a couple of really big pass plays. That comes because you opened up the run game. If you were trying to do the reverse, like you were doing last week, the result would not have been the same, guys. Not mm-hmm. even close. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, James, hey, what would you make of the uh, the penalty discrepancy here? You know, UCLA called for 11 penalties for, you know, I can't remember how many yards it ended up being, 11 for 64 it looks like, and the only penalty on Oregon was the Jake Hansen uh, targeting call. You know, that's certainly what Mario Cristobal is going for, right, in terms of being a very disciplined football team. They lacked some discipline the last couple of weeks. That discipline kind of came back to them in this one.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely, and, and ultimately the disparity, hey, look, some of that has to do with you, some of that has to do with the fact that you yes, actually touched on it, they were on the road, you had some false starts. Ultimately, you yeah, to remember, there were a couple of penalties that were declined at this game as well. There could have been more. Uh, they, they, they turned down several of them. That was big. Uh, but, yes, the one, the one, obviously, on Oregon that is very costly, uh, both in the near term and the long term, potentially, is the Hanson. And I know fans always lose their minds about targeting. Folks, that was as textbook a targeting in that situation as you could draw up. It really was. I'm not talking about intent. Intent is not in the rule, guys. And I know I was listening to the radio broadcast during the game because I, I do that in order to get injury updates. And I'm here in Oregon, guys, and I don't know how I like them, but I know every home radio booth loses its minds about targeting against one of their players. I understand that. But bottom line, it's not about intent of the player. It's not about they're trying to maim the opponent. There was helmet-to-helmet contact. There was forcible contact to the header-neck area. Bottom line, it's a blindside block, which is the definition of a defenseless player. That's targeting. It is what it is. Now, it's brutal. It wiped out a 31-yard touchdown, which, by the way, for everybody who's complaining about conservative or unimaginable play calling, I didn't hear any complaints about that on that play. <laughs> <laughs> that, was a, yeah. that was a pretty nice Reds reverse first touchdown yep. to for the targeting. Uh, that was pretty nice. didn't hear any criticism about uh, the, the first touchdown pass to Mitchell yeah. on a fake bubble screen, basically, there. So, bottom line. It was targeting. It was brutal because it wiped out the touchdown, it Led to a time momentum obviously shifts. You lose hands in the rest of the game. The offensive line was further depleted. Throckmorton moving to center, <clears throat> and then Stephen Jones at left tackle. And now next uh, next week, we're already where we talked about before the game. Utah's going without a starting quarterback. Well, Oregon's going without its starting center for the first half. That's tough. And now you say, what happens in the first half if Oregon were to sustain an injury in the first half? Then what? What happens at? Numerous positions. What happens at left tackle? What happens at center? What happens? <laughs> what happens across the board here? Because now you're starting to get the pretty slim pickings. Uh, the more more situations like this present themselves. But the penalty disparity as a whole, yeah, that's that's Oregon getting back to its principles, and that's only being a young team on the road.
2: Yeah, that's that's what I thought, James. I really did. It was the crowd noise. You were there personally, and it, it just the atmosphere again le- leads to a lot of those false starts. But the youth there being on the road. Uh, but here's the other one. There, I, there's 28 points generated either by special teams or the defense. I mean, yep. right away, right away, two touchdowns came from special teams with Amadi's 55-yarder for the score, and then the fake punt. I mean, that was a great call, great job of uh, avoiding that tackle by Jacob Breland. So that's that's another one. That's 14. And we have the uh, another muff punt for the score. Mm-hmm. Gets us 21. And then, really, it, the, the scoop, it's almost really a scoop and score the sack by Justin Hollins. That, that's 28 yeah. points.
1: Yep. That's absolutely enormous plays at every step. And then, but again, some people are just never going to be happy. Those plays happen. That's great. And especially special teams was brutal last week. And let's not say they were perfect in everything. They allowed a fake uh, to happen. They also had, uh, obviously, a missed six-shot field goal. So not everything was came up right. roses and special. But compared to last week, it was still <laughs> markedly improved. But because of those things, and you mentioned the short fields that resulted in numerous of them, you still got people complaining about the first-half offense. <laughs> you know, would you prefer that you trade in a touchdown right. the field goal? Then you will really be complaining about the offense. So the fact that the offense capitalized and scored on a short field, so that's why they don't have as many yards, that's the problem. No, I don't think that's a problem, sorry. the defense and special teams put you in position to succeed like it did, then the offense delivered at the end of it. Each one of those, the offense did something. I know yeah. about the missed field goal. I get that, and that's hey, Sometimes that's going to happen. But ultimately, yeah, special teams and defense came through in really big spots, especially special teams. Absolutely. Which, look, criticism came last week, credit comes this week. All
0: right, yeah. I And see, James, I totally understand that, and I agree with that. And yet, I still felt like there was a lot – Left on the table from the offense, and I look at the UCLA going for the onside kick, you know, once they make it a Mm two-score game, you know, Oregon gets that. They end up having a third and three, Herbert over the middle, deep to Breland, and he underthrows that ball pretty badly. Fourth and three, he barely gets it to red just over the sticks, and they still can't score even on that drive when it started in plus territory. I mean, overall, (laughs) it still feels like this offense has not hit its high gear yet. Would you agree with that?
1: I'd say, look, if you want to say is it short of perfection, absolutely. You can talk about the third and one and fourth and one that got stuffed, and then ultimately the sack fumble came the next play. Uh, you can talk about the missed field goal. You can talk about getting into plus territory a couple of times and slowing down and stalling in the first half. Yeah, that's part of it. And I understand, look, the other team's going to be putting, playing and trying, too, so you're not going to succeed 100% of the time, first off. Let's, let's get that mm-hmm. out of the way. Uh, no matter how bad and youthful or whatever you want to use the excuse or a qualifier is, the other team's still trying out there. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to be perfect. But I understand the expectations are very high for this fan base as a whole, but especially when you have a quarterback that's talented. Bottom line, I get that. Hey, you don't have to sell it on me. I, I perfectly understand that. But if you want Oregon's passing attack to be more reflective of, and put up numbers closer to what Washington State does, but you also want the tried and true identity of the offense to be based around a run game, which for around here for the better part of, what, two, three, how many decades has been a staple of the offense. Well, you, you got to pick and choose, guys. You can't have both. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, Very few teams have well, been in both. Well, yeah. and from
2: my viewpoint, James, as the offensive guy, I, I, that sets, it sets it up. The run game sets it up. I mean, it was, it's 28-14. You're, you're middle fourth quarter, and it's second down and, second down and five after a really good run. He he sees cover zero, no safety. They go play action, and Justin Herbert puts an absolute dime for 67 yards to to Dylan Mitchell again. So, boom, you're back to 35-14. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Ultimately, at the end of the day, if you you walked away from this performance upset and frustrated about the offense at the 42 points, okay, I I can understand it (laughs) in certain spots. I get it. I understand. However, was this game ever in jeopardy?
0: No, yeah, no. There, it really wasn't. Never
1: in jeopardy. Never once did you feel like ball with a chance where it was a one-score game. Never. Not really. Mm-hmm. After really, the early part of the first quarter, I understand, where 0-0, I get that. But I mean, truly, after the first quarter, they never had a shot. They cruised. I'm going say a part of cruising at times is, all right, about urgency or whatever, whatever. But ultimately, this game was not competitive after <laughs> the first quarter. I understand at points where it's two scores where people may have been grumbling a little bit, but ultimately, this was what it was. There's a team looking to reestablish the run. It got it. It seemed that it was looking to balance it out with the pass. It got it. But we didn't know for sure if it's two major offensive weapons we're going to play. They both did. Yeah,
2: that's
1: What more do you want? And got all those plays out of special teams, especially in light of last week. What more do you want here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't it's a performance, but... This is just 40 to 21. Like, what, what did you want?
2: 63 nothing. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> especially when especially <laughs> we saw it well. Especially we saw in Tucson last week. Yeah. No, it was very. I thought they managed. I, I said that he managed. Mario Cristobal and the coaches from Bobby, the, the special teams coach, Marcus Arroyo, everybody. Uh, they managed the game so well, as you mentioned. They've always they kept it a two possession, two to three touchdown lead. Really, the entire game, they managed it well. So all those fans out there expect, you know, like you said, 60 points. Come on, man. Uh,
0: I think, too, with Chip in the building, there's still that residue of of memory of blowing out teams regularly, 63-20, whether or not it's a Pac-12 game. And even that was just reinforced into the fan base. I mean, James, you got to believe. I mean, I know you, you've you've done your homework, but that was reinforced in the fan base week after week after week after week after week. Like conventional no winning part. a football game by no. two, three scores and managing the game. That's not what Oregon did for so long. It was pedal to the metal for four straight quarters. And I think there's, we're still fighting that perception a little bit. <laughs>
1: Understood, no no question about it, but that's what comes with a transformation and a little bit of a change in identity. Because, right. look, I, you know, this is not the storyline of the night, obviously. But, guys, you know it, and it's not just here, it's not just this program, it's across the Pac-12, it's other, other leagues that have tried to do the same thing. Not just a blur offense, I, hey, that's fine. Tempo's one thing. But with that tempo, came a smaller offensive line that on the biggest stages, not just here, elsewhere, right. other teams who try to do the same thing, have an awfully difficult time playing SEC defensive lines in front sevens. So ultimately, can there be a blend is the question, right? That's the premise. Well, I think what you're seeing is a coaching staff that has some people with roots in the SEC trying to blend the tempo and the passing attack and the run-first kind of mentality that comes with it, but also the tempo that comes from a West Coast perspective and trying to meld those two together and bring in the athletes to make that work. That's what, the to me, in my observation of what Mario Cristobal is trying to do around here, that is what I see as his vision for this. Because ultimately the goal is, at the end of it all, maybe not this year, but the end goal is to compete for national championships and be on that stage yeah. again, isn't it? Yeah. Well, in order to do that, in order to do that, you're probably going to have to play an SEC team or the Oklahomans or Clemsons of the world. Well, once you get there, it's one thing to get there, but you don't want to be embarrassed. And in order to avoid that embarrassment, you've got to be really strong on the lines. Well, you're not going to have a bunch of 300-some-odd-pound linemen <laughs> if you're going to be running the blur offense that your failure was running you know, eight and ten years ago. It doesn't work. Uh, you have to have more nimble guys. I understand that. I understood it then. I understand it now. But fact of the matter is, is there was weaknesses with it. I think you're seeing somebody try to take a little bit of a different twist to it. And we'll see if it works. Ultimately, that's what you're judging. But I understand, especially with you're telling the building. You're absolutely right. People could be looking back at the past and saying, you know, you long for the days that Art was putting up 60 and 70 points. I'm not going to say those days are gone for forever. I'm just going to say that those days are gone and that this is going to be a little bit of a different approach is no. all. Well, it- but the end result is ultimately what matters.
0: Yeah, until you can become relentlessly dominant with this style of football, you won't be winning by four or five touchdowns regularly. No, You'll be winning maybe soundly like they did tonight, but it might cost you some style points in the short term. But it's going to be able to gain you some national credibility in the long term if you can play this style Against the big boys, the other Power Fives outside the Pac-12, James. I I want to just copy and paste that answer and then remind the fan base of that when you're seeing the team run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Because we're still needed to think big picture with this program, even in year one with Mario Cristobal. We can't always get caught up in the short term week to week, even though that could be a challenge. <laughs>
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And look, the other part is, guys, look, next week I understand Utah now without a starting quarterback, that's, that puts them in a rough spot. But Utah's defense is one of the best defenses in this league. I understand today they didn't look very good. That's okay. But as a whole, statistically, they're still one of the stronger defenses in this league. So this style up against that, we'll see that. We'll see this style up against a better run defense probably, probably, uh, in, a, in a bowl game. And then ultimately we got a whole long time to do it. But that big SEC clash to start next season with an Auburn defense that will probably lose a whole lot of talent, but will nevertheless return a whole lot of talent. That's going to be the major litmus test. And the thing we'll talk about all of the offseason is this approach and how this works and this identity going up against a team that is. This is what this is supposed to be built towards. Taking on teams like that. So we, but, you know, you get an early test next week with the Utah defense. It's one of the better ones in the league, and I know they're coming off this loss up the QB and all that. But we'll see. We'll see, but ultimately, I, to me, if you're a fan and you're walking away tonight, anything but pretty pretty happy about the end result, uh, I, I'm not sure entirely what you're looking for. <laughs> and maybe that's just the dealing with Twitter and, and live reactions and games. You just see more negativity than positivity, and that's, that's all of us. Uh, but like I say, I, I know there are fans out there who walk away from a 42-21 win plenty happy, but for those who aren't, uh, I, I would just say, hey, look, if you're not happy with over 200 yards rushing, Uh, and an attack that looks a lot more like it did when it was winning and got a win, you may need to adjust your expectations just a little bit.
2: Yeah, that and shut yourself off in the third quarter for those adult alcoholic beverages then as well. (laughs) Get it really perspective. I'm nonpartisan here. I'm going, man, the Ducks look good. They won three phases of the game. And what I saw the last two weeks, you better take this and smile and, like you said, get ready to go to Salt Lake City. Absolutely. Come on, man. Absolutely. Come on, let's go. <laughs>
0: hey, James, thanks so much for uh, taking time thanks, out of the post game. It's always good to talk to you.
1: Likewise. Thanks so much, guys.
0: There he is. Follow him on Twitter, at James Crepia, the Oregonian Oregon Live. It's always a good, uh, triangle conversation when we bring James on.
1: Yeah, he, he likes
2: to go back to that SEC. That That's mate. right. That he's, all... he's. I but he got it. a real good point. because I, I, I watched, as we were watching the Ducks, I was watching the number one team in the nation play. And they're in shotgun, and they're spreading around, and they're running it, but they're throwing it. But the other side of the ball, they're really good. They are very like, good, man. really good. There's some big boys that can run and they can tackle.
0: We'll talk more about that game coming up. Went down in Death Valley. Plus, Peter Sampson will get you caught up on all the scores. More Oregon College Football Post Game Show. Judah Newby, Neil Lomax, coming up on the game. Oregon State just tried a little trickery in Corvallis. Looked like a Timmy Hernandez throwback. And uh, Cam Smith, the all-conference Mike Linebacker for USC dropped a gimme pick. That was, yes, that was on fourth down. So the Beavers go for oration on fourth down in the red zone in Corvallis. They do not get it. It did not look particularly good. It is a one-score game, though. USC 28, Oregon State 21. Neil, the Beavers sticking with the Trojans early fourth quarter. So
2: back to play call or execution. Well, I mean, Robert, see, So if that would have worked, awesome call. Lindgren, that was awesome. John Smith, well, you guys put that in like on Tuesday or Wednesday. That was, uh, I, I loved the by, the. by the way, I thought it was a great call. Okay. Great call. I mean, you you it's 28-21. You got a chance. You had this set up. Not quite the Beaver or Philly special, but it looked similar to that. Throwback. But, you know, why not? You know, early fourth quarter. But I, I like the chance they took. Well, I,
0: I do. Well, hope that uh, they can still stay in that game and. You know, it's interesting, Jonathan Smith opted for a field goal in the fourth quarter against Colorado last week, a move that I thought was a little conservative when he was trying to mount a 31-3 comeback, and ultimately it paid off because they forced overtime. And he so, goes by his gut. So, he made that no. very
2: clear. He's not an analytical guy. He doesn't go by the stats. Okay, what's a two-point play? What's this? He goes by his feeling of what did we do well in practice. And I like coaches like that. That's what we did well in practice. Let's call that play. Guy's got to execute it. And we just got a pick six?
0: Yeah, it was a fumble on the turf, I think, that's going to be called that he was down because he looked like he was down to me for USC. That would take a scoop and score off the board for Oregon State. But that's what's going on down in Corvallis. Hey, how about the action that's going on in Hillsborough Stadium there down the 26th, Neil? We got a barn burner between Portland State and Idaho State. I'm getting
2: minute-by-minute updates from my friend Tig. What's up, Tig? And 41-38. Idaho State, starting the fourth quarter, Portland State has the ball. It's a shootout. It's the run shoot days. Wow. I love it.
0: This is amazing.
2: 41-38. And again, Idaho State is leading the big sky. They're at 4-1, and one, Wow. where Portland State is at 3-2. and two. So a big little move here if Portland State can hang on. But we're doing some scoring. A beautiful evening out there at Hillsborough Stadium.
0: At Hillsboro Stadium, yeah. Idaho State played Cal earlier this year. Uh, so that you know they've got some power five opponent under their belt too so we'll keep an eye on that one as well Idaho State and Portland State 41 to 38 uh, always good talking with James crepia just jumped off the phone with him if you miss any part of our post game show find it on podcast uh, just uh, by searching Judah, Judah Newby in iTunes easier said than done there or you can find it on 1029thegame.com uh afterwards as well it'll be up there later tonight um Justin Herbert and Dylan Mitchell Connection is exceptional once again tonight. Herbert talked about that chemistry after the win.
4: Yeah, that's that's something that we've we've really talked about, and, and uh, that's the only way we get better. And so he's a guy that, that pushes me, and, and I try to push him as much as I can, but he's made me a ton better, and, and uh, thankful to have a guy like that in our locker room.
0: Well, whatever chemistry they have, it'd be nice if they developed it a little bit more with Schooler and Red and Johnny Johnson, which... Who? Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. David Davis. David, David Davis got a lot
2: of snaps First, this week. I understand a lot of reps. Tabari Hines, uh, the grad transfer. I, I understand Brandon Schooler is not your four-four, your speedster guy. You're going down the post with. You're going nine routes and deeper, deeper balls too. He's more a possession guy, but he does get some. He does get some play. I thought the tight ends, uh, the wide position, would be. A mo- I thought we see Can O'Dillon a mm-hmm. lot more, uh, especially when Cam McCormick went out and no Ryan Bay. It's pretty much Jacob Breeland. Once in a while, we'll sneak him down the hash. We'll sneak him out. Uh, obviously, the fake field goal. But you got one go-to guy. One guy that, okay, he's our home run guy. Because Jalen Red. he's kind of in and out. Maybe 20, 25% of the time. Passing situations, you don't see a whole lot of him. Uh, like we saw earlier. Because he was, at one point, he had like about 11 receptions for with four touchdowns at one point. He had more. He had more touchdowns than Dylan Mitchell uh, at one point. So yeah, we don't, a lot of no Johnny Johnsons, no Kalen Dillons. Travis Dye gets in there a little bit. So it, it's kind of Dylan Mitchell is our go-to
0: guy, but That's again, pretty much it. 18 targets, 18. That's that's a lot. It's a lot of looks, man. It's a lot of looks. Hey, they overruled the ruling on the field in Corvallis. They're going to go ahead and call it a fumble, but the touchdown's taken off the board. Beaver football, break out the turnover chainsaw. Oh, that is an outstanding Woo! play. <laughs> Love it. Get more updates on that game and everything else around the conference. More Oregon College Football Postgame Show on 1029-750 The game. USC, I think that's Ace Cedric Ware just took off her big touchdown for the Trojans. There is unsportsmanlike conduct on SC, but I believe the play will stand for a touchdown, and USC is a extra point away from going up 35-21. Neil Lomax joins me. I'm Judah Newby on the Oregon College Football Postgame Show. Also taking your calls at 503-417-7575. The Ducks beat the Bruins 42-21. You can sound off right here on these airwaves, and uh, talk football with a College Football Hall of Famer. You know, don't get to do that every day. And let's talk football. Let's talk Pac-12. So do you you
2: think Utah will go to 20, 21, 22? Does Washington sneak back into the top 25? I think Washington does, You're not putting
0: Arizona State. I think I am putting Arizona State, yeah. Top 25? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. I think they sneak into, like, 21. I think Utah, here's the problem with Utah. I think a lot of the voters will know about the Tyler Huntley injury and almost by default drop him all the way out because of that. If he was healthy and they lost, I think they'd be like 23. Okay. But because, That's, you know, he's out. And, and we'll see. And, and you know. Is he
2: out for the whole? We, we he don't is know. out for the year.
0: No, the report, is it broken, collarbone out for oh the year? Clavicle.
2: Oh, man.
0: Do you ever have that?
2: Yeah. What's that like? Yeah, I was actually boogie boarding. In the offseason? <laughs> That's how I snap. Oh. Well, offseason, I was done. I was like oh, 30, are, okay. 37, 38. Yeah. Kids were young. I don't know what beach we were at, man. Dude. Oh, this, these five, six-foot waves, no big deal. Boom! <laughs> I go, God. You kind of come out. You kind of act like you weren't hurt. You know, I want to be a tough guy because there's all these people on the beach and my kids are out there. I go, yeah, yeah. Uh, anybody got some Tylenol? That's amazing. Ooh, my, my wife Lori just uh I gotta get to the hospital. <laughs> we took him to the hospital the x ray had s- no, snapped mate. my clavicle. Dude. Dude
0: boom. How'd that compare to like a big Boogie board and a
2: Lawrence Taylor. Dude. I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I I I still have nightmares. Speaking of nightmares, Chip Kelly's gonna have like yellow flags just flashing. Just all the, the whole plane ride home. Terrible. Just taking his car home in Westwood, yellow flags. I mean they're like fifteen flags. They were flagged fifteen times. Four of them were not
0: accepted. See, and Four. The, and, I think one of the biggest ones was at the end of the first half. They were lining up that 51-yard field goal. Christian Ball Good calls point. the timeout. Boom. Procedure penalty, which is so weird to me because the, the holder was looking back at the kicker at the time of the procedure penalty. So, you know, he looks back at the kicker. He sees, does he have the go-ahead from the kicker? Are you ready? Right. And he look back. I don't even know how the snap works from... You go to center back to the holder, but why is the left guard moving five seconds early? Right, because
2: you're actually looking in peripheral. You got your peripheral vision. Okay. You're all looking down the line. You're watching the ball.
0: Why are you moving? It's a 51-yard field goal.
2: Somehow you're worried about your assignment. You're anxious about your assignment. I got inside gap. I got to make sure I block inside. It could be a Jalen Jelks or Jordan Scott. I mean, Jordan Scott's a big boy. And he's huge. Maybe he's shooting that two gapper, mm-hmm. and, and you know you have to block down, so you want to get maybe a little edge there, and but on a field goal.
0: Well, and ultimately, he almost made it. He almost made it
2: from From 56 56,
0: and he would have made it from 51. And that would have been a what a 21 to 10 game at halftime right after Adam Stack pulled his 21 yarder. (laughs) Poor kid. I don't know what that was. But yeah, here's my question to you, Neil. What do you think about Oregon going the rest of the way? They are on the road at Utah. Now, I know no Tyler Huntley is a huge deal. Big deal. But what's the most challenging game for Oregon the rest of the way? Is it at Utah next week? Is it home to Herm Edwards in a surging Arizona State? Is it at Oregon State at the end of the year?
2: Uh, I I think it's this next week. Let's just take it week by week. It's still at Utah because I I think James Krepia did mention the defense. That's a big deal. That's how you do win championships. That's how you're going to win close games, especially at home. You know, you got your quarterback out now. They're going to rely on their defense, and they play very, very well there. It's a tough place to play in Salt Lake City. And Oregon's just playing a lot better at home. They're, they're a different animal at home. right? They really are. They, they use that energy. They use that atmosphere so well, and that's what that 12th man will do. And that's why Utah plays so well at home. So I think that's the team. Oregon and Oregon State, let's, let's talk about that in a couple of weeks. But they're playing very well here, but USC – Oregon State had a chance. They two really chances. Did. And did not come away and give credit to USC's defense, making them go for it, whatever, and they bang, they kick it, block out of zone, takes it for 62 yards. It's 35-21.
0: Well, and for those that missed it as well, it was a seven-point game, 28-21. Oregon, had, Oregon State had the football 20-yard line of USC, 4th and 5. 4th and 5. They bring on Timmy Hernandez in this weird little pistol wildcat look. And it's a rollout throwback, and it gets covered by three defenders and knocked down for incomplete. So you give up three points there. Could have been 28-24, but then again, maybe you don't trust Jordan Shuker, the kicker, because he's missed some stuff this year. Or this is your
2: chance. Or, they again, you, know, you guys have got to go. Got to go to practice. That's I keep telling that to folks, fans who always right. kind of fly around at 30,000 feet. Oh, I know what I'm talking about. They should have the field goal. No. They work on these things. This is the chance. We know exactly what covers they're going to be in. It's fourth and five. Obviously, defensively, they just executed better. They dropped in a zone and knocked the ball down. I, I like the effort. I like – because they, they make that play. It's a touchdown. You're going, wow, what a call, what a play, right?
0: Yeah, process over results, right? I'll, I will die on that hill. I love the process over the results. And result. Jonathan not... Smith is dying on that hill. And he is, and he should be. But – at you're not going to get them 100% of the time either. All right. We got one segment left, Neil. Flying Love up, it. Flying by. We'll get an update on that Portland State score. Final takeaways from this Oregon game and your calls too. Call 503-417-7575. More Oregon College Football Post Game Show coming up on the game. All right. Final segment of the Post Game Show. Peter Sampson spinning it behind the glass. He'll take care of you. Starting about 10:15, all the way up to midnight. Give him a call at 503-417-7575. Give us a call as well. Your final takeaways from this one as Mario Cristobal and the Ducks get back in the win column with a 42-21 win over Chip Kelly. Great game for Dylan Mitchell. Boy, that guy can play. He's going to be playing at the next level, no question. Justin Herbert's going to be playing at the next level, no question. But, Neil, as we enter this final segment, let's just uh, do our weekly assessment. Where does Justin Herbert stand in relation to a possible NFL draft uh, scenario? You know, is he ready? First of all, well, just based on this, like, you know, he's got a lot of room to improve. But you mentioned earlier we were watching the game together. If people are constantly telling him he's going to be a top ten pick, what are you waiting for?
2: Well, and physically, he's got the tools. Okay, you love you love the quote the body. I mean, six five, yeah. two thirty five. Got the arm. He can make all the throws. You know, mentally, does he have it, and does his heart, is that part of it too? And, and what we all know about him, what I know about him, yes, mentally, he's a he's smart kid. I mean, and he's got the heart. He comes from a great family background, so he's checking all the boxes. Last week, though, some question marks, and it's going to happen. So that's up for the NFL scouts. That's up for all the, you know, the Mel Kuipers and the, all the guys who are experts in their, their, their field to say, well, if all the quarterback crop or the quarterback class – he probably is one of five. But is he a number one? Is he a number two? I mean, you say Dylan Mitchell's guaranteed. There's no guarantee. There's a lot of great receivers out there. You know, is he hairy? Is he that good? Physically, no, he doesn't have the body. But I tell you what, Dylan Mitchell showed me a lot. After getting, the way he got, like, Ronnie Lotted, I call that a Ronnie Lott hit. That's a Kenny Easley back in the day. That's a good point. Coming across, man. People who know who those guys are. Yep. Woo! And he survived that. Went through concussion protocol and played with the heart and desire. You see his emotion. That's what I kind of saw more out of number 13 than I've seen before. The guy wanted to play. Yep. He's I'm I'm coming back and I'm playing. That's that showed me a lot of grit, a lot of desire that you don't see in a lot of players.
0: And strong hands too. I mean, he was oh. making
2: contested catches. And Jalen Reds, These guys got some good hands. I mean, Jacob Breland's got some good hands. When when Justin Herbert puts it in the spot. They catch it. People were talking about, oh, they're dropping balls, dropping balls. Well, they're throwing. Yeah, come on, it's Bowling Green and Portland State and 19 different guys playing. Now they're down to two or three. So, no, I really like what the relationship's going on with Justin Herbert and Dylan Mitchell and pros. Let, let, let's talk about Sunday down the road. Let's just talk about Saturday. Right now, these guys get ready to play a game next week. And I don't know if they. We only know the time. We're going to know tomorrow. Is that how they work at Judah? What time this game will be? Yes, tomorrow. Okay. So it could be probably an afternoon game, yep. and they gotta start worrying about that. You need to beat Utah on the road. That will be quote the signature victory to really set up a really good bowl game.
0: You're hoping, and by the way, the Ducks with this win became bowl eligible. Sixth win of the season.
2: Uh, okay, there you go. Nah, bowl I'm just eligible. Saying, you but know, then you come you home against out. Arizona State, which I'm telling you that's a big one now. And they're not going to overlook Oregon State. It's a, it's a civil war game. No way, black Still, Friday. No, no, exactly. There's no. They're gonna. This is going to be. We gotta put the you know the stake in the heart. For the regular season, on that Civil War game, that's these games have been good. Yeah, and you, you say this one here, the highlights of the year. You can't wait till Black Friday for an Oregon Oregon State game.
0: Tell you what, man, the Civil War is always my favorite day on the calendar every year. Like I get, I, you'll you'll see me. I get really romantic about it. I romantic. Love, well, I love the just the feel. I need to, all I need the to stay feels, away from you more. All I the feels of the ducks <laughs> and beavers and playing. You know, is someone that's uh, you know, I've I've had rooting interest in both teams all my life, basically. So, you know, I'm not unlike anybody else. Everybody loves the Civil War Black Friday. By the way, uh, I I forgot to tell you, we're going to be on remote Black Friday. Ooh. Yeah, we're going to yeah road trip. Nice. You know, I, so I promise I won't be too weird. But, no, you're not, uh,
2: no, you're worried. You're you're, you're controlled. You're always, I'm all I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I worry about myself. No. This is going to be, oh, are we going to an adult kind of place? We're going to an adult With, kind of place,
0: oh. yeah. And
2: uh, throwing, So not top shelf golf.
0: Not top, not top golf, although we should do that sometime soon, you know, <laughs> especially because they got it warmed up out there. How about that? We go to top golf, finish it off, going to a Portland State-Hillsboro Stadium game.
2: And by the way, it's 48, my last update from Hillsboro, 48-38 Idaho State, about seven minutes left. I don't know what you popped up there, but that's for my
0: yeah. my boy Tige says. Uh, hey, you're ahead of me. I have nine minutes left, 48:38. So, so yeah. you, know, you got me by a couple minutes. Come and on, he, Bikes. make a comeback. Your player of the game in Oregon, UCLA, not named Justin Herbert and not named Dylan Mitchell, would be yeah. who?
2: Player or coach? I'll get. I'm gonna get Bobby Williams. I like it. I'm gonna go Bobby Williams, special teams for coordinator, it, having it ready, having it in the, in the pocket. Mario Cristobal had it right there in the pocket. A couple of them. I mean that opening punt return that was blocking, that scheme, that's the coaching, the fake field goal, that just set it up. That and I think Odson Stadium, I'm not gonna pick a player that had to disrupt UCLA. There's no way you're having eleven penalties without the crowd atmosphere disrupting your offense and defense.
0: Justin Herbert also talked about facing Chip Kelly.
4: Um I tried tried to not let that take up too much of my attention this week. Um just stay focused on the game and, and uh um, just tried to block that out and not let it distract us too much. But uh, it was it's definitely cool to, to line up against him. And, and it was a coach that I grew up watching, so it was, it was special.
0: And one of the plays that you mentioned earlier, the strip sack by Justin Hollins. Mario Cristobal said that was a big
3: play. Without a doubt. You know, we went, uh, we starting one fourth and one. We didn't get it, um, which we'd go for it again if we had to. really would. And so we... We needed something. We needed something right there. You know how momentum in college football goes now. You've you got to have it, and you've got to keep it, and if they get it away from you, you've got to get it back. That thing turned it, and it turned it fast. Great play by him. Um, again, he's can't speak enough about him, the type of year that he's had. He's come up big, and I think tonight, which you, what we saw, he, he played with a relentless engine tonight. I mean, he really got after it, and he, um, he caused a lot of problems for UCLA's offense.
0: And elsewhere in the Pac-12 right now, USC leads Oregon State 35-21, to Neil, with eight and a half minutes to go.
3: Oh, it was a lot
2: closer than that about eight minutes ago, too. Yeah. And, you know, Jonathan Smith took a couple chances, uh, but they had the ball in there in plus territory, one in the red zone, fourth and five, kind of, quote, trick play. But you don't look back on that. Now you, you got to stop them. It's still six minutes left to play. Good game. But, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, Clay, Clay Helton's the one on the hot seat here. You know, Jonathan Smith, going back to Chip Kelly's now, he is watering the bamboo at Oregon State. It seems like every three or four years you have a new coach coming here, but I think everybody in Beaver Nation and in the state of Oregon and the Northwest see a glimmer of hope with Jonathan Smith in that style. He's going to go by his gut. He's got a lot of, to me, he reminds me a lot of Chris Peterson. I think he's taken a lot from what he learned from Mike Riley and Chris Peterson. You can't have two better mentors than that.
1: Uh, watering the bamboo. <laughs>
2: What a stick that in there. <laughs> I love it. That third year, the fourth year, it'll grow.
1: Like ninety feet, feet, man. Yeah. Ninety feet.
0: I gotta hear that again.
1: Yeah. Watering the bamboo. If you water bamboo in the first year, nothing happens. If you water it in the second year, nothing happens. If you water it in the third year, nothing happens. If you water it in the fourth year, it grows ninety feet in six weeks. So that that kind of analogy to our players is that, you know, you, you have to just keep driving and keep paying, and it'll pay off in the long run, and that's what those guys understand. So it's good that they listen.
0: You know, I know not a lot of coaches have the four years to water their bamboo, <laughs> and that's the problem. But it's certainly, you know, I'm envious of those that see results after watering the bamboo year in and year out. And you know what? On that note, that might be a good place to finish, but Neil, I just wanted to... Extend a congratulations to you on finishing the high school season with Fort Vancouver. I know there's a lot of ups and downs in a job like that. I know you guys are done now, and uh, you can take some time to reflect and and exhale a little bit. But you know, just from the outside looking in, I know how much you care about that job, that uh, that program, and investing in young men. And uh, just a collective thank you from from you know those of us that that see the job that you're doing over there. It's well, not easy.
2: I appreciate that well it's not on Friday nights and if people just think about it's Friday nights and that's important the wins and losses but I tell you the stories and the changed lives that that I saw from Monday through Thursday and on the weekends as well uh, is is pretty amazing there's there's 25 or 30 boys that uh, I had an influence in their life and I hope it's a positive influence you're gonna keep watering that bamboo it, that's a lot of hydration over there yes a lot of hydration
0: <laughs> well neil i appreciate that that'll do it for us on the uh, post game show oregon wins 42 to 21 next week you know stay locked in at 1029 the game on twitter and 1029 the we will have a web post right away once we figure out the kickoff time for oregon and utah you know stay locked in for that me and neil will be back next week ducks win this one by three scores for Neil Lomax, I'm Junior Thanks, Peter Sampson, spinning it behind the glass. He's coming up next. Matthew Zimmer will take over and board up control as well. This has been the Oregon College Football Postgame Show on 1029-750, the game.